Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. My name is Chelsea, and I am talking about becoming a people manager. So with me today is Annie Sai, and she is the CEO of a consumer education startup called EDO Labs. EDO Labs is focusing on helping young children and their busy parents understand and achieve better learning outcomes. And Annie has quite the leadership background. So she has been a chief customer officer, as well as a chief marketing officer and a head of people operations. So we're really glad to have her expertise and I'll let you continue introducing yourself. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you all. Um, So again, my name is Annie. It's really great to be here. probably wondering why I'm talking about this specific topic of um, developing from an individual contributor to a manager. Um, So a part of um, every role that I've had in leadership has been around mentoring and advising early career professionals. It's frankly one of my favorite things to do. And um, so over the last 15 years, I've really focused on designing and implementing, you know, employee development programs, um, personal programs to help them sort of make that jump from IC to manager. Um, And it's been just such an honor to see um, so many of them become heads of their departments and VPs and, and, you know, managers in their own right. And so um, I'm here to share and and learn from everybody else. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction. So I'm going to kick it off with my favorite question. How do you know when you're ready to be a people manager? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and, and frankly, one that not a lot of people ask, right? They just kind of move into the, the, the this is my natural next step um, sort of frame of mind. And so the question is really like, um, is that the right role for me, right? Um, so you need to ask yourself, uh, why do I want to be a manager? And um, what are some of the characteristics that I might have that would make me a great manager? Um, and, and, and you might want to think about things like, okay, well, there's this me versus we construct, right? Um, do I prefer to facilitate work? Do I prefer to do the work and actually have a product that is mine that I own, right? Um, do I, um, do, am I able to like trust in a, in a team and the process that we've agreed on? Or, um, you know, is it hard for me to do something like that and let go and, and delegate? Um, there are going to be like three or four sort of key facets of your personality that you kind of want to just look at, right? How you think about success. Um, do I like to sort of define success as the thing that I own and create? Or um, do I really, really enjoy success that other people sort of um, create on behalf of the team? And I am a part of that, right? Um and, and when you take a look at that, you might find that maybe you're better suited to, um, you know, be an individual contributor and sort of take a specialized IC role. And there are lots of different roles like that. Um, like you could go from a generalist to a senior person to really, um, you know, like in technical roles, for instance, to really be focusing on like the art of engineering, right? Or the, the design of product, right? 
Whereas in a management role, you're really focusing on the operation of engineering and the scaling of the organization. So those are really, really different um, um, sort of parts of the organization. And then in non-technical, um, it's the same thing, right? You're, you're kind of going from a generalist to kind of a niche specialist. And over time, you start influencing as a leader of, of the organization, as opposed to being responsible for other people's work and bringing all of that work together into a bigger thing. Yeah. So something I really like that you said there, and it's been a recurring theme on our office hours as well as our events, is determining what you think about success, um, especially knowing that it doesn't have to be one thing. So it sounds like what you're saying is decide really how you like to operate and what makes you happy and what makes you engaged and you know be true to that path. It doesn't need to be a manager. It can be an IC and there are multiple interesting paths there. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's also, um, you know, I've seen a a number of times where people um, make a decision that they don't want to be go into management. And that's a right now decision. Right. And maybe they learn a bit more about themselves. They develop their skills a little bit more. Right. And they learn over time, a couple years down the line, that they're ready for that. Right. They're ready to sort of be responsible for a team's work. Um, And that I see that all the time, too. Great. Um, so you also mentioned becoming a leader and you mentioned it in the concept that you can be a leader as an individual contributor as well. Can you tell us more about the difference between a leader and a manager? Yeah. So, um, kind of like, uh, the Venn diagram circle, right? So leaders do not have to be managers, but you should be a leader if you are a manager. And so, um, the leader world is really around the people, right? It's around understanding what makes people around you tick, um, understanding how to um, inspire them to be greater than just themselves, um, and the and sort of like a storytelling piece, right? Bringing the community together. A manager is really about the operation of that part of the company, right? And really being responsible for delivering outcomes against that goal. And um, the really important thing, again, is you can be an individual contributor and you can be a really, really like critical person, leader in the company, right? To inspire um, all of the people in marketing or all of the sales team, right? To, to be the very best versions of themselves every day that they come in. But you don't have to manage their work in order to do that, right? And so um, it really depends on sort of where you think your skills best fit. Um, yeah, that's very helpful. And, you know, you said it's all about the people being a leader and with people comes relationships and those can be really tricky. How yeah. might your relationships change if you become a people manager? Yeah, the um, especially when you get into your first manager role, um, there are kind of like two pitfalls that I'd say like 99% of all new managers go through. And that is the challenge of going from being someone's peer or friend to becoming their manager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. And then the second one is um, managing people who are older or more experienced than you um, and just not having gone through that before. And so those are kind of the two trickiest types of relationship changes that I think most people go through. Um, the um, On the first one, which is the most common, right? Going from a peer to a leader, um, especially if you're being promoted from within, um, you know, it's really, really important to kind of set yourself up um, ahead of time and and sort of think about this like leader construct, right? Like what are the ways that um, your peer group or your friends still see you as a leader or perceive you as a leader, right? Um, But 
but also understand that there is a friendship at play. And so maybe they still, they come to you for peer feedback a lot, right? They come to you for advice on how to navigate something in a company, within the company. Um, they come to you for sort of code checking, right? Things like that. Um, those are all sort of um, indicators that they see you as a peer mentor or a peer leader, right? And, and that could be an, a positive indicator that when the time comes for you to become their manager, it will be an easier transition because they've already done that work. Um, you've already done that work ahead of time. Yes. And if you enjoy perhaps those peer conversations, that yeah. might also be an indicator that you may enjoy being a manager, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the single, the thing that I used to spend most of my time doing, they're kind of like two buckets, right? Um, there was the, um, the, the operation piece of sort of analyzing and planning and strategizing. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other piece, which I, at my last company, you know, I'd spend 70 to 80% of my time really just working with my team and helping them, you know, figure out how to navigate situations that they were going through, helping them plan their, you know, their sort of subgroups of work and things like that. And so the, the leadership portion is something that all managers really need to focus on and get really good at over time anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you just heard Annie's little whisper, that is our audience member, her cat, Mateo. So he might make a little appearance, which would be fun. Um, very cool. So another question that I have, and you kind of alluded to this a bit, would be around trust. And as a manager, you need to be trusting in your team as well as building trust within your team. How does that transition work? Or how do you think people could consider that as a factor in their decision making? So... Um, the, the trust that a manager has in you will um, show up in a couple of ways, right? And, and I think that it's um, what you're really looking for or you're looking for indicators that um, your leadership team believes that you're capable of taking on a leadership or a management role, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they'll show that to you in a number of different ways. It's like, for instance, um, you know, they're going to have strategic offsites. They're going to be out sick. They're going to be on vacation. And there are these like backup people that, that are called. Um, and it, it really is meaningful to be in, I don't know, a 500 person company. And for the head of the function, you are that backup person most of the time. Right. So it's like, oh, I'm out of the office. Contact so and so contact Chelsea. Right. If you need anything um, related to everything that we do here. Right. Um, and so that's one sort of indicator that. Your, your leadership team trusts you. Um, another indicator would be, you know, whether or not you're even given the opportunity to, um, to contribute at levels that are beyond, you know, what your discrete role description is. And what that might look like is, you know, there are, in any size company, they're going to be a ton of like cross-functional projects. Mm -hmm. So are you the person that's pulled in because you understand the relationship that your function and your job, um, you know, have with other parts of the business, right? And if that's the case, um, then, um, and you're brought into this conversation, you can really contribute in a meaningful way, which means like you could stand in for any of these managers that are, that are here, right? So those are just kind of two examples of ways that managers would show trust in you as an individual contributor. Yeah. That's perfect. So for those of you just joining us right now, uh, we are discussing becoming a people manager with Annie Sai. And she was just describing for us some of the ways that you could determine whether or not you're ready or you want to be a people manager. Um, we discussed, you know, what does success look like for you? Are you ready to be functionally managing a team? Um, how your relationship might shift between being a PR to being a manager. And so I wonder, Annie, because we talked about this a bit and you kind of brought it up in the beginning, what are some of the wrong reasons to want to become a manager? 
Oh man. Um, <laughs> these might sound a little cliche, but I've heard them, right? Like, um, as a part of the natural, um, path progression, there's also sort of commiserate salary that you would assume that you would get. Right. And so this question of like, well, I really want to be paid more. And therefore I think I need to go into management in order to do that is really a fallacy because there are a ton of roles out there, especially once you become a specialist as an individual contributor, where it's more common that these senior specialists are making more than a manager. Right. And so if, if, um, compensation is the reason that you're going into management, then that's a bad reason. <laughs> Another one is, you know, um, uh, I, I hear often um, individual contributors, they want to be able to uh, sort of be a part of like the bigger decisions. They want to basically be able to call the shots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing, right? Like you're you are ultimately responsible for the decision, but really, really great managers are facilitating the answer as a natural outcome of a process, right? The team is really the one that's that's pulling together um, the decision and the decision is should really be kind of easy, right? So a lot of times, and also if you're delegating appropriately, you're not even gonna be the one that's making that call, right? So um, calling the shots, not a great reason. Another one is this this question of like glory, Mm. Um, you know, you want to be the one on stage, you want to be the one sort of, you know, sitting with the CEO, that kind of thing. Right. But the reality is when your team wins or when something great happens out of your organization, it's the team's celebration, right? The only time you're, you as a manager are singly responsible for anything is when there's a problem, (laughs) you know, it's so like the team wins and I fail. (laughs) Um, Oh, so uh, those are a couple and there, there are lots more, but we can go into those if you want. No, that's perfect. So to summarize this section for all of you watching who are wondering, do I want to be a manager? I'm not sure. What are the good reasons to want to be a manager? Um, great reasons. Um, you want to, you just love to help. You love to help and you love, you, you love the feeling of seeing others improve their craft and get better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you enjoy seeing like the way that you learn and the way that you celebrate success, your success is by seeing other people be successful. That is, I think the most important thing, right. Of of going into management. Um, There's another key um, reason um, on, on sort of the operations and strategy side, that's really important, which is um, you are able to, and can contribute and want to contribute more when it comes to um, more high level things that that are outside of sort of the discrete purview of the organization. So as an example, you know, if you're in marketing today, right, but you, um, you really want to create a stronger connection between marketing and product and customer experience, right, then that's an opportunity for you to go into management and really kind of be that person in the middle of that. So that's another reason. Um, and then, you know, wanting to understand the business sort of more broadly, wanting to take on more cross-functional initiatives. Um, uh, those are kind of the, the, the binaries between like people, I want to help other people and I want to help the business in a, in a bigger way. Great. That's awesome. So for all of you who are just joined, uh, what we just learned, if you're considering becoming a manager, sit down and do a self-assessment. Think about what it is you want, what success means to you, how you like to engage the people around you and how you want those relationships to be. And make sure you're 
as we always say at Marlo, you're testing your assumptions. If you think that you um, want to become a manager, test some of that out. Think about your relationships with your peers. Do you like mentoring them? Do you like coaching them? Do you like working with them? Do you find success in their success? And if these things start to check the boxes for you, uh, perhaps being a manager is the right next step. So Annie, you fully convinced me. I'm ready. <laughs> I want to be a people manager. Now, what do I do? Yeah, the um, the what do you do part is really interesting because um, there's your personal interest, right? Which is like I really enjoy helping other people, and I really want to sort of contribute to the to the business's success in a in a more meaningful way. Um, well, now you have to really kind of understand what are the tactics of like what a manager role in within the context of your company really is, right? Um, and that really comes down to the basics. There's, there's sort of like the baseline foundation of like, really, what do managers do every day? Like, actually, a lot of people don't know, <laughs> and, uh, which is kind of funny. So, they, so nothing is not the right answer there, right? <laughs> yeah, they do a lot. Yeah. And, and a lot of what they do is behind the scenes, right? And, and they're, they're coordinating, they're planning, they're making sure things are running smoothly, um, and, and they're, they're, they're sort of getting um, roadblocks out of the way, right, from in, in front of the people who are really kind of doing the work, doing the hard work and getting to these goals. And Annie, if you don't mind, because coordination is always tricky for me, and I think it can be something that's confusing. Could you give an example of, as a manager, what it means to do this behind-the-scenes coordination? Yeah, so you may be responsible for, um, a, you know, a $2 million project budget. And um, part of the coordination is not only keeping people on track across the project um, within your own org, but also with developers, with agency, with marketers. Um, but if, you know, there is an issue, right, um, you'll, you'll be responsible for identifying the resource and, and finding a way to get resources allocated back so you can keep that project on track um, and in budget, right? So that would be sort of one um, discrete example of coordination um, tied to project. More broadly, um, you know, every company comes up with annual and quarterly strategies, right? And um, a lot of what managers do is they work together to sort of make sure that what their group does really is reflective of what those goals are um, and, and figures out like what how we're measuring success against that that goal. And so what you're doing from a coordination perspective is you're making sure that every sort of person on that team working towards that goal really understands where we are, why we're doing it, um, what needs to change, how we can tweak things, if we need to accelerate. And so there's there's sort of like the ongoing coordination at that level as well. Yeah. And I, I think people sometimes forget that facilitation between parties and, and making sure that all the communication is held clearly and they're all running towards the same common goal. Mm -hmm. It's very challenging. Yeah. And the thing that I think is changing in the business landscape is that um, organizations are, have become increasingly more matrixed, right? So you're not talking about like super siloed functions anymore. And if you are working in super siloed functions, you're probably doing a lot of duplicate work and you're probably thinking about the same thing in different ways, right? Um, and trying to solve the same problems. And so businesses are really focused on getting sort of these people trying to solve the same problems, working together well, and managers play a really, really critical role in making that happen. 
Yeah. So you've talked about getting things to work well. So that's kind of optimizing the resources you have. Mm-hmm. Um, can you go in a little bit more to, to what that optimization might look like? Or if, especially if you're a new manager, how might you approach that for the first time? Yeah, it really kind of depends on um, like what it is that you're doing. But I'll give you an example in um, in a sort of the customer world, right? So um, when you're, when you, let's say you uh, become the manager of a customer support organization and um, a lot of your optimization is going to be data-driven, right? And so you're trying to understand where are people dropping off? Like what tools are they using that are working well that are not working? And so you, there are a lot of levers that you're going to be playing with and um, and sort of the, the people that are helping to execute that work are part of like the toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. So do I need more people to help here? Would it be better to reallocate these people to do something else that'll like be more beneficial to our customers? Um, and so um, that within the like customer execution, that, that would be like one way that you could look at it. Mm-hmm. In engineering, optimization could be something very different, right? It could be um, sort of we're finding that um, a lot of the code that's coming in, you know, needs to be uh, once it goes through QA has to get bounced back. And so one of the optimization functions that managers may sort of um, suggest strategically and then manage change around, train, implement, and then hold people accountable for is like, well, what if you write your test plans while you're writing your code and then you check it and then QA is a part of that, right? And that's a big change for a lot of developers, right? Um, It's more contemporary way of coding, but um, a lot of people still don't do that. So that would be one way to optimize the organization. And with both of those optimization paths, it would require a lot of buy-in. So I'm guessing getting that buy-in is also the responsibility of the manager. How do they do that? For sure. Yeah. You really look at, I mean, depending on sort of how big the the thing is that you need to change, right? Um, it could be, um, I kind of talk about things in terms of like up, across, and down. Um, so it could be that the buy-in is w- within your discrete group. And so it's across, right, with your peers and the people who report into those those, those teams. Um, it could be that um, the scope of the change is so big that it requires multiple resources across different functions, like marketing needs to do stuff on the website. You need to change all of our our content and our communications, that kind of stuff, right? Um, then you definitely need to focus more across, right? To get buy-in up front and then down on the delivery. Um, and if it's a huge strategic change, like, um, you know, we need to change the way we think about our customer journey, for instance, right? And so a lot of different groups are affected by that. Then you really start up and then go across and down. Got it. So you're really translating your vision for how you're going to optimize and connecting all the different people to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that um, uh, that can be um, tricky, right? But um, certainly something that I think like really great managers who focus on the leadership and the relationship part, do, like just do exceptionally well. Awesome. So I think we've talked a lot about the the functional pieces of management as well as the sort of leadership and interdependencies. Um, what about you know your team and developing and mentoring them? What does that look like? Yeah, that's probably um, what's well, my favorite thing to do, but it's also um, one of the most important things for a manager, right? Like you want everybody on your team to um, sort of take your job basically, right? One day and exceed far beyond what, where, where you are. Um, and sorry, my cat is very needy right now. <laughs> um, so 
one of the things that you want to do is you want to make sure, you know, especially if you have a smaller team, right? Eight people or less, right? Try and focus on having a weekly or biweekly one-on-one. And in those weekly one-on-ones, you know, you really want to focus on like what is going well, what is not going so well, and what do you, what do you need me to do? How can I help you right now, right? How do I get roadblocks out of the way so I can put you in the best position of success, right? Because we're not in, we're not here to micromanage our teams as, as managers and leaders. What we're here to do is we're here to help everybody that reports into our organization be as successful as possible. And those are really, really different things, right? So figuring out like how you can be most useful to, to um, the people who report to you is often done easiest just by asking them on a regular basis and also expecting that they bring that to the table. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, personal development plans um, and professional development plans, which are different things, um, I think are um, sometimes overused, sometimes underused, right? But the most important thing that comes out of these PDPs is, one, like that person needs to know that you care about them growing, right? And by the by the process of you sitting down with them and helping them build that out and holding them accountable for that, that's really meaningful. And then the second thing is a lot of people don't think about their own development unless somebody else brings it up. Um, and they don't think about what it takes to go from here to there, right? Um, yeah. And so by helping them break it down, you're really helping them create like an actionable path, right? And that's um, that also means a lot to people. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, once you have that genuine caring and, you know, you really want to be there for your team, something you said in the very beginning that you didn't call attention to, but I went to, if everyone remembers, she asked a bunch of questions. So she didn't just go into a conversation or give us an example of a conversation in a one-on-one where you just make assumptions as to what their blockers are, what their challenges are. As a really great manager, you're really asking them and asking questions and trying to learn their perspective and what they're seeing. So I thought that was really awesome and a great example. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I mean, that time is for them, right? And, And what they need. Definitely. So everyone watching, um, we definitely want your questions. Hopefully by now you have a good grasp of how to gauge whether or not you want to be a manager and you have a better understanding of the manager responsibility set. So if you have any questions for Annie, please let us know. Um, and you know, we're also going to be asking you questions in the comments section so you can add them there. So Annie, what's the What's the next step? So if I know what it takes to be a manager, how do I sort of assess whether or not I'm ready? Sure. Um, So uh, going back to the sort of like skills gap analysis, right? Um, Understanding what what it means to be a manager at your company, really important, right? And then going through the process of just saying, can I do these things, right? Do I understand what this means? Um, Do I know how to coordinate sort of complex projects, right? do I understand sort of how the company talks about the business from a data perspective and analyze it, right? Um, just, can I speak that language, right? Do I understand what it means to like tweak different levers to improve things over time, right? And these are all tests that you can run as an individual contributor for sure. Um, can, I, can I take the strategy of my company and translate it to a workable plan, right? That I'm responsible for. And as an IC, what one thing that you can do is take the department's plan, strategy or vision, right? And translate it to your direct work, right? Like how do I connect to this? And can I tell a story around that? And if you can't do that, then you know your manager would be more than happy to help you do that, right? Because it's a really important thing to be able to do anyway. 
Um, am I a connector within the company? Um, and then, you know, am I a peer mentor and things like that? So um, those are sort of the areas that, um, you know, you really want to think about like, okay, am I doing this now? Do I understand what this is? And if not, then talk to your manager about um, actually, you know, how can I do more of this stuff, right? You want to put yourself in a position to be considered for a role before the role ever exists. Yeah. And so why is it important to know how to translate the company strategy um, into your own work if you want to become a manager? Oh, man. Like, I think, I think everybody falls, falls prey to this, but you know, you spend so much time with your heads down, your head down, focusing on executing that so too often you forget to look up and take a step back and say, how did I affect the business, right? How meaningfully, what did I do to generate more revenue, to make customers happier, to increase our pipelines, any, to make us run more efficiently, right? And if you're going to go for this manager role, right, one, you need to be able to talk about what you did to contribute to the company. But then the other thing is um, storytelling um, becomes really important because you need to teach other people how to do that for themselves too. Mm -hmm. So um, start with you. <laughs> and, um, and I think also it'll give you um, a little confidence going in, right? Um, and, and that's also a little helpful too. Yeah, definitely. And I assume once you can kind of tell that story for yourself and maybe even for some of your peers, it'll help you engage and motivate the team you have one day, right? So they understand why their work matters. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. You also mentioned knowing how your company works from a data perspective. And if you could kind of connect the dots for us, I see where, where you may have been going with that. But why does understanding the data and how they're, how they're driving forward and how metrics matter to them, why will that be impactful for you as a manager? Well, more and more, um, you know, every every nugget of the business, every corner of the business is measured somehow, right? And if it's not, it's going to be very soon. <laughs> and um, a, a really great manager understands that and finds a way to talk about sort of the work that your team does um, from a data view. And the reason why that's important is because um, uh, for better or worse, um, you know, if you're a private company, right, um, when you're presenting the stuff that we're spending money on to do X, Y, and Z, right, the outcomes that we're measured by are numbers. Um, you know, we did X percent growth, um, we reduced attrition by X, Y, and Z percent, um, and that kind of thing, right? And so depending on your, uh, the part of the organization or the part of the product or whatever it is that you're going to own, more likely than not, there's going to be some standard measure um, or some industry measure or something that the group's already using. So as an IC, like, don't be shy about asking your manager, right? And if they don't know, they, then they need to find out, right? <laughs> they need to know. <laughs> um, so find out how the leadership team thinks about how success is defined on this team and then just start learning that language um, because you'll be using it when, when you get into management. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think sometimes managers don't know and there's a really graceful way for you to manage up and help them figure that out together, right? And they'll um, be thankful for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they'll be thankful. Uh-huh. Um, so you've talked a lot about the hard skills and kind of assessing those, but we've also discussed being a mentor and, and coaching your team and really caring about them as individuals. How can you assess some of your soft skills and determine your skills gaps there? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think the, um, 
from a soft skills perspective, you're really looking at like, um, one is perception of leadership, right? One is peer mentoring, one is relationships. Um, and you can, you can do a look back, a self-assessment look back on um, one, what is, like what your preferences are. I prefer to um, help others as opposed to focus on creating something myself. I prefer to, um, you know, volunteer as the project lead on a community organization event, right? As opposed to be um, on the team. I prefer to um, uh, be, I usually raise my hand first to, uh, you know, volunteer to speak, right? Um, in, in, a, in a group setting. Like, so there's, there's preferences that you can kind of do an assessment around. And then there's the other stuff, which is how other people see you. And you can look back at sort of the behavior of other people. Are you finding that folks are coming to you and asking you questions, asking you for advice? What kinds of things are they asking you for advice about? Um, who is it that's doing that? How often does that happen, right? And so like, even though you might not be thinking about this, it's very possible that people see you as an expert on a certain number of topics um, just by virtue of how and what and how often they're, they're talking to you about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing on the perception is, um, you know, if you get asked to join projects, if you get pulled into conversations, then that's also like a really interesting sort of signal from um, other managers in the leadership team that they see you as someone who's potentially on a track to, to join leadership. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, considering those soft skills, we actually just got a question from someone watching. Mm -hmm. And I think this question could be helpful in, in testing those out and how well you can navigate them. So um, if you work at a company where your managers tend to keep data and strategy from you and you don't feel they're as transparent as maybe some of our reasoning is laying out, um, how can you get more involved in the process so you actually are able to connect the talks between data and strategy? So if they're holding back information, mm -hmm. how can you get that from them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm sure it happens more than, more than we would like it to, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, so where I would start is I would start with the stuff that you discreetly are responsible with, for, and I would take a really hard look at how you are measuring success and how you are describing outcomes and how you are using data for your work stream, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one way that I've done this in the past for myself is um, I usually do kind of um, my an annual look back. So for the year 2016, for instance, 2017, um, I'll break things down into quarters and I'll say, these are the five things, three to five big nugget goals or projects that I wanted to work on. This was the goal and this was the outcome, right? And this is how I sort of affected the my part of the business or the business or whatever. Um, and I use that to have a conversation with my manager, right? Um, about sort of where there were wins, where there were losses, and where I could have used help, didn't ask for it, or need help now, right? Um, I, I would totally recommend anybody doing that for the, the world that they are responsible for. Um, and when you have that conversation, what's gonna happen is it's gonna become very clear to your manager or whoever you're talking to, right? That there are pieces of information that you are lacking because you weren't given, right? Um, and they, they need to make a decision at that point. And that decision is going to be, do I share this information, right, to help you do better, do your work better, make, make more effective decisions on behalf of the company, right? Um, or do I spend more time with you um, so I can guide you through that process and um, help make sure that sort of you're optimizing 
your part of the business? Or the last part is, do I continue to not share, right? And hopefully that last thing doesn't happen mm-hmm. um, because it would they're not optimizing their team in that way then, right? And that's, that's problematic. Um, but hopefully the one of the first two happen. And if one of the first two happen, then what you're going to find is that um, trust is going to get built. Um, and over time, you're going to get more access to, to that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And what I love that you did there is you're really putting it in the perspective of the manager and giving it to them in a way that hopefully they'll be motivated to help you and they can see how to benefit the whole team. Um, and as you mentioned, building that trust, it's kind of inching you towards being someone who maybe they might consider as a people manager. So let's say, you know, I'm, I've assessed my skills gap. I know what I'm missing and I know what I have in order to be a good people manager. How can I position myself to get the job? Yeah. Um, uh, I said this earlier and I, I used to say it all the time to um, sort of the folks on my team. They probably get really sick of me saying this, but um, you really want to put yourself in the position to be um, sort of uh, put in the role, right? Um, or, or chosen for that role before the role ever exists, right? Um, you wanna be, you want other people to see you as the leader or like the up and coming manager or whatever. Um, and, and so some things that, um, that, that sort of help you do that, um, position yourself to do that is um, really finding ways to get leadership experience, right? To be seen as a leader, um, you know, being a project lead on cross-functional projects. Um, a lot of people, a lot of companies allow, um, you know, individual contributors to do like new hire mentorship and sort of like onboarding, employee onboarding, things like that, right? Um, what's really interesting about that is every new hire class that you bring on within that cohort, if you're responsible for onboarding them, that's an entire group of people that see you as a leader, right? Um, yeah. Uh, volunteering for, you know, any opportunity to like take on sort of additional higher visibility stuff. Um, lots of companies do special projects that are both tied to the business, business outcomes, but also sort of philanthropic stuff, right? So um, taking all uh, as many of those as are, are appropriate for you, right? Um, making sure that you don't forget to tell your manager that this is an area of interest for you and that you've done an assessment, a self-assessment, you've thought a lot about it. And these are the reasons why, and these are the right reasons why that you feel that, you know, you can uh, sort of best be utilized for the company, right? You can do better work if if you're in this position for the company. It's not, I want to grow for me. Right. Um, And so that's sort of positioning for managers. Um, and, you know, making sure that in your one-on-ones, you're spending, you know, a little bit of time every quarter talking to them about your progress against these goals, right? Be really proactive about that because um, uh, for better or worse, right, if, if a manager has a large team, they might not remember that last conversation that they had. Um, and really important is to um, make sure you talk to people outside of your um, your direct sort of line of reporting, right? So let's say there's a person in another group that's a manager, you really admire them and their work, right? Um, have, have lunch with them or have coffee with them and talk to them about, um, you know, your interest and ask them lots of questions about sort of how they got to this point and how you, what you can do and things like that, right? And so you start dropping across the company, these little hints, right? Depending on company size, um, little hints that, um, you know, you're on track, you're doing really well, you have a strong desire to do more and this is why, right? Yeah. Um, we talked about being a fill-in. That's a really sort of um, visible way, which is like 
when your boss is out, you are the fill-in and everybody sees that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking the language, so using data to talk about um, outcomes and, and sort of change over time in projects. Um, yeah, there's uh, probably uh, t- 10 more we could go into, but I want to be respectful of time. No, those are those are all great. Um, so you're really focusing on laying the groundwork. So mm-hmm. any, any way through any method, even coffee with people, letting them know you're interested. Um, so for those of us who have just joined, because I saw some fluctuations, it's awesome to have new faces. We are Marlo. So I'm representing Marlo. We're a career management platform, and we're looking to help members find happiness and direction in their careers. And today we are here with Annie Sai, And Annie is the CEO of a consumer education startup, EDO Labs, and a veteran on the C-suite. So she's giving us a lot of executive advice also from mentoring her teams So Annie, given your experience, and I'm sure your experience having conversations with your own team members about wanting to become a manager, do you have an example of a time that one of someone on your team wanted to become a manager and and sort of the things that they did to position themselves? Sure. Um, We had one person who um, really wanted to, um, we had gone through this process of um, creating um, sort of job roles and levels within the job roles and things like that. This was a couple companies ago. Um, And uh, from a visibility standpoint, like the entire team finally was able to see, okay, well, this is me now. And this sort of like, this is the change in skill set and what I need to do to grow in order to get into like the leadership or manager track. Right. And so she sat down with me and she said, um, you know, I think I, I think I have a lot of these skills, um, but I want to, sorry, but I want to flex my muscles around, right. Some more. Um, And uh, you know, what are opportunities that I can do on a day-to-day basis in order to make myself more visible. Right. So that was like a really direct question that she asked and we made a plan around that. So um, you know, I asked her to to go and sort of think about, um, you know, a month, um, a regular month, you know, at the office and a regular month with our customers, all the stuff that we do within our org. And like, what are some opportunities that she sees, right, that she feels would be sort of um, muscle building, right, in terms of the skill set that she wanted to grow towards. And so she, she, uh, the next week we came back, she had the list and we said, okay, well, here are a couple things that you know, really stand out and why don't you take these on, right? Um, And so she was really, really tactical and specific about, um, you know, one, the language that she used, and then two, um, sort of the action plan that that she and I agreed to. And then she went and did it and came back, right? And so a lot of people, so many people will not follow up on these things because just like life gets in the way, right? But that in itself is telling, right, to how serious you are about wanting to do this. And so please make sure that you follow up on it if you if you talk to your manager about it and make a plan. Yeah. And I think some people, and I've had conversations around this, a mix between imposter syndrome and I think also just fear of not knowing what your manager is going to say. Directness can be hard, but it sounds like in this case, because she was direct but also prepared, um, it just seemed like she was committed and she was really ready to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, being direct is really hard, right? Especially if um, the person that you're speaking to is, you know, intimidating or having a bad day or whatever, right? Like that can happen because everybody's human, right? Um, so back to sort of putting yourself in the best sort of position, right? If it's not a good time to have this conversation, by all means, you know, um, 
send that person an email or a calendar invite and say, hey, so this is what I would like to talk to you about, you know, in preparation for that, here are some things that, you know, that I've been thinking about. um, And, you know, I don't want this to come out of left field for you. um, And if this is uh, not a great time to discuss it, let me know when, right? And this works really well in larger organizations. Um, uh, And, you know, certainly in smaller companies like 500 employees and lower, um, you know, having sort of the hallway conversation of interest, um, the one-on-one conversation of interest, the lunch conversation is really common. Yeah. And how might you position yourself? You mentioned being the fill-in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that can happen organically, but let's say you want to offer to be the fill-in. So mm-hmm. be direct in that. How might you do that with your manager? Um, I, I would ask, or I would just ask one, uh, what what happens when this this, this happens, right? Like when you're off at strategy meetings and you say so-and-so is the fill, I'm like, what actually are they responsible for? And, um, and this might be different depending on the company, right? And also the function. And so it's good to get some specificity around that. Um, but once you know that, say, oh, you know, actually like these are all things that I do every day. You mind if I take a shot at it next time, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't ask, you're never going to get it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so once we're, you know, ready to to be managers, it sounds like we need to really focus on model, modeling those skills daily. So how can we get involved in those skills at work? And I love you gave the example of onboarding new team members because it's an easy way to start managing, um, as well as just making sure people know you're interested and, and being direct and, and confident in that directness. Any other important things to take away once, once we're ready to have the conversation? Um, you know, any, any job that you're going after, regardless of whether you're, it's an internal role or an external role, right, you're going to have to be assertive about it. Like, there's very little that's going to be handed to you at that point, right? So um, don't be shy about it. And, and if it's something that you know you want and you, you believe will be great for you and that you're going to benefit the company in, in you know, an amazing way, then there's, not, there's no harm in asking, right? Just do it. Yeah. No, I totally love that. And I think a mistake we often make as individuals is, you know, I'm working really hard. They'll notice. Um, and <laughs> you can help them notice, right? Everyone's working really hard. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. Cool. So let's say I did all this hard work. I listened to everything you said. I, I really nailed it. And now I'm a manager. Now what? <laughs> How do I do this successfully? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that um, I usually recommend um, new managers do, um, well, anytime you, you enter a new role, right, uh, that is significantly different from the role before. So going from an IC to a manager is, is one of those things, um, is, is to put together a traditional 30, 60, 90 plan. Um, it's a really commonly used tool, probably overused, but it never hurts, right, to do it. And, and, the, the really important things out of building a 30, 60, 90 plan is it forces you to think about what is the order and priority of the things that you need to do in order to ramp up and, and be great at this role in five to six months, right? Um, and uh, the other thing that is really important about a 30, 60, 90 plan is that it's a tool that you can use to make sure that the new person that you report to, your new manager, understands how you're approaching this new role. Um, more often than not, you know, when you become a manager, there's not like some new onboarding, right? You just kind of inherit a team and then you guys are going and they're already working on a lot of stuff, right? And so um, it's really important for your manager to understand how you're approaching 
learning in this role um, and also affecting positively that team um, and how you're measuring success. And it's important for them to agree to what that plan is. And so that is a tool for now you and your one-on-ones with your manager to talk about how you're progressing, right? So I love the 30, 60, 90. I've used it many times with my teams and and for myself. Um, So first thing, right? The second most important thing that I think a lot of people skip, because especially if they're inheriting an existing team or they know a lot of those people, is to not do like, you know, some people call it like a listening tour, is to skip the listening tour, right? Definitely, you know, sit down with each person and just shut up and listen and (laughs) learn about what they do, start all over, right? And take the perspective of like, yeah, I heard about you, you know, as a peer, I know about some of the stuff you do, but I really want to know, like, what are you working on that you love, right? What are you working on that you are having trouble with? What are you working on? Where are you having challenge that I can help get out of the way right away, right? And in those conversations, there are going to be a couple things that happen. One, one is you'll start to understand the dynamic of the people on that team in a different way. Um, and they'll also start to understand you in a different context. But then the second thing that happens is you really get sort of a couple of like quick wins that you can just make people's lives so much easier. Um, And these are like low effort, high return things, right? Um, Get those out of the way quickly. So along those same lines, I just got a question that um, I think fits in perfectly here. Mm -hmm. Um, So this question is, I'm not sure my team members respect me. I'm younger than them and newer to the company. I also don't love speaking to a group. What should I do? So I'm assuming you're a manager. I'm gonna make that assumption. Uh, that's not in the question, but it's a good assumption. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, what I would say to that is, um, you need to understand why, um, and you need to address it. Um, and until you understand why and make a plan to address it, it's going to probably be a tough situation for you. Um, the managing, um, sort of older and more senior people is like the other thing that is really hard for new managers, right? Um, and the um, as a new employee um, or a newer employee, one of the things that's especially hard is there's no, there's no like history or context of your prior performance with those more senior people. And so that mutual respect is not necessarily baked in prior to you taking a leadership role, right? Um, so, some things that could be helpful for you are like, can you do the job that they're doing? Like, why are you managing them, right? Uh, do you understand their role or the nuances of their role? Um, what are some things that you can do to make their lives better? What are some things that you can do to celebrate their successes in ways that they hadn't previously done? Um, so those are kind of some quick and easy things that you might want to think through um, uh, while you're on the path to understanding why, why the situation is the way it is. Um, and, and I would really focus on that. You may be able to talk to your manager about, um, about it and, and kind of get some background on it. Um, you may also be able to um, bring it up directly with some of those folks um, in one-on-ones um, if you're comfortable, right? You say, I, I, I get the sense that there's some tension um, and here's one example. Um, I'm trying to understand the, like what is happening here because I want I'm here to help the team be as successful as possible, and I I, um, I feel like I'm not able to do that at the moment. Can you help me understand why? Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, um, you know, uh, back to the quick wins, right? Like um, from a quick win standpoint, 
Um, one of the things that it does is it establishes respect. But the other thing that um, you can do to establish respect is um, they need to understand that you should be their manager, right? And so go back to sort of the list of like, what is a manager doing um, in this company? And am I actually doing those things as well as I can? Um, if not, what are those barriers? Get my manager to help. Yeah, definitely. Um, and with quick wins too, and, and something I, I like about this is it's a lot about recognition and, and celebration and why can that be important or how can that be used as a valuable tool? Cause I think sometimes if you're the type of person where recognition isn't as important to you, or maybe you just like the value or the output of your work, it can be hard to connect with your team if, if recognition is super important to them. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, it's a really interesting point. Um, I would say that if you have someone on your team where recognition is not important to them, there is going to be some other thing that is intrinsically valuable to them. And you should take the time to listen to them and find out what that is and then do that thing. <laughs> and can I pause you there too? Cause I think this gets forgotten when you say intrinsically valuable, what does that mean? Um, so a lot of times, you know, as managers, as parents, right. I fall, I fall victim to this too. Um, we use reward systems. Um, we, you know, say thanks on the stage. Like these are like, these could be intrinsic motivators, but oftentimes they're extrinsic motivators, right? Which is sort of like a quid pro quo. Like I do this and then I get that, right? And then that as a motivator is actually pretty dangerous, right? What you're looking for is um, an intrinsic motivator. Like what makes you get up and come to work and love your work even more? And for a lot of people, it's a thank you, right? Because they get recognized like that their work is important to um, and, and affecting customers, right? And so that's an intrinsic motivator. It may be um, you taking them out to lunch by themselves because they never get FaceTime with you, right? Um, and, and they really value being able to, um, you know, give you feedback in um, like unsolicited feedback in a really safe space, right? So if you don't know what that is and if um, if sort of any of the things that we talked about previously um, aren't it, then um, ask them, you know, why do they wake up and come up to work every day? What do they really love? Um, and start testing stuff out. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, besides your blog, what are other resources that these new managers or people potentially looking to be managers could use? So there are a couple of interesting um, uh, things out there right now. Let me just go to this um, list. So, um, this woman who's really interesting, her name is Kim Scott. She just published a book called Radical Candor. And um, uh, at my prior company, folks were um, in love with it. And she came to speak. Um, and the uh, subtext is um, how to be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity. And, and I really love that, right? Because it um, it really embraces this, this um, like, you're being direct because you want to help people be better, right? Um, and just like cut through it. And not everybody's going to be comfortable with that, but at least sort of understand the approach because a lot of people will also prefer that. Um, and as a manager, you need to adapt to um, the style that your team members prefer, right? Um, there are also a couple of um, sort of blog posts that we can share about, um, you know, sort of tools that you, or ways that you can think about how to give constructive feedback, right? Because you want to give constructive feedback that is sort of active and um, in the moment if possible, right? And you don't want to put people down, but you also want to 
um, be direct. And so there's a bit of an art to that, right? Um, and, uh, and and we can share some of those tools. Um, and one of the um, one of the articles that I really love, um, I think it was on Forbes. Uh, it was about um, how how to give your boss feedback without getting fired. Um, and it's the story of this guy who's like a pilot, right? And he has to get the sergeant fills in as his co-pilot, and he has to give him his the co or the sergeant feedback that he's a terrible pilot. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, the lesson out of that is, um, you know, there is an art to being direct, but don't be afraid to also give your boss feedback because they will appreciate it. Because frankly, you know, once you become a manager or the more senior you get, right, you stop getting feedback because people are scared to, um, and they really appreciate when you do. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, I think we've learned a lot today. If you could give everyone a couple, like a solid takeaway, or maybe some things that you want them to think about uh, leaving this event. Yeah. Um, think about why you want to be a manager or why you're thinking about it. Um, you know, do a skills assessment um, and, um, you know, see if this is something that you think you would enjoy learning about or you think you would be good at today naturally. Um, if, if so, make sure you talk to your managers and express interest and put yourself in a position to be considered for a, a leadership or a manager role. Um, and, you know, there are some very tactical things that you can do to set yourself up for success, right, once you get that job. So um, make sure you do those things um, and, and sort of communicate successes often and, and um, regularly and failures. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Could you um, let everybody know how they could stay in contact with you or follow yeah. more on this? Sure. So um, I do have a blog It's uh, that, that I write um, uh fairly regularly. Um, and there'll be some more content coming on management soon um, on AnnieSaid.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. It's um, me, Annie, but a lot of people think it's Mimi. It's not. Uh, and then um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn um, and uh, happy to continue the conversation. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.